0: I'm glad you're joining us online. For those of you who are joining us online, before we get started, I got a couple things. First one is if you're in the room and you're a junior high or high schooler, uh, this would be the moment where you guys can head over to the other building, um, and Scott and the team will be meeting you over there if you'd like to go. Uh, also, can um, I just say again, thank you very much to Zach Halligan for last week, for filling in last week. Well, one of the things that I really love every time Zach fills the stage is uh, just his honesty and his transparency. And it's just his very real desire to try and follow Jesus as best he can. And uh, it's always a gift to me. I hope it was an encouragement to you last week when he was uh, here on the stage. So we're going to be in Matthew 17. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew 17. Before we get there, uh, I I got a couple things I want to tell you. So the first one is this. So um, a lot of you may or may not know this is over the years, um, I've helped coach football here locally and uh, different age groups I've coached. Most of the time I end up coaching at the eighth grade, uh, the eighth grade football program. This last winter or spring, which is really weird to say. um, I helped coach the high school. And uh, I think one of the things about football is, I think that football is one of the most complex three or four seconds in any sport. There are 22 people on the field, and almost every single one of them has a different job to do. Whether you're the 11 on offense, the 11 on defense, right? Most sports, you know, um, basketball, you got 10 guys on the on the court, and they, you know, they may have a little bit different jobs with their technique. You're never gonna see, you know, like a point guard who's like, well, you know, I shoot the ball this way, and the and the and the the post player's like, well, I shoot the ball this way. Like they're all gonna have, you know, they're not gonna be like, well, I dribble the ball this way, and one guy goes, well, I dribble the ball this way. You know, they all. Have kind of the same technique. Baseball is boring, so we don't care. Um, but football, you have twenty-two guys, and in fact, in fact, like uh, so much so that like uh, offensive defensive line, right? Like sometimes, if you have them do something that they're supposed to do a different position, they're doing the exact opposite of what they're supposed to do. So this is what I mean. Defensive line, as you can tell by my physique, I don't coach running backs very often. Okay, um, I coach linemen. That's my world. We like donuts. We get together. We get along really well, right? And so one of the things you always are telling defensive linemen is fire off the ball, fire off the ball, fire off the ball, fire off the ball, right? Fire off the ball, and and we're telling them, And we do this like practice thing. It's power step six inches all season. We'll practice this every day. We call them EDDs, everyday drills, every day. They're repping this over and over, and we want them firing off into the hole or into the player, whatever their job is supposed to be. Well, if you play defensive back, if you play safety or corner, you're probably, your probably responsibility is if you do this, if you go like this, the coach is going to yell, what are you doing? Go backwards, because their job is the exact opposite. A defensive back, their first step is a retreat step, right? And, and you've got these 22 guys all doing something different, and here's what happens for most of us. Most of us, when we watch football, we watch the ball. We watch where the ball goes, and when the action happens with the ball, we follow the ball. And and a lot of times, if you're watching like college or NFL, um, the camera really helps kind of focus your attention to follow where the ball's going. But one of the things that we do with football, if you ever played football, is you watch a lot of film. Right? You watch practices, you watch games, you watch a lot of film. And one of the things that's really hard to teach students to do, teach kids to do, is to watch a person. It's our innate desire to want to watch where the ball's going and what's going on and watch the action. But if you watch the action, you're probably never going to get better at your position. Right? And so you have to teach the guy. You're like, hey, hey, your job, you have to watch the left guard. You watch the left guard. You watch the left guard. You watch the whole thing. Don't watch where the ball goes. We don't care where the ball is going. You watch the left guard. Did he step right? Did he use his hands right? Did he move the guy right? Did he engage correctly? Did he chop his feet? Right? You watch the left guard. Now, we're coming to a passage today called the transfiguration. And the transfiguration is a monumental part of Jesus' ministry. Huge, magnificent, incredible. In fact, you're gonna to see today that Matthew doesn't even have words to contain that, that could contain what happens. The, the, the things that happened are so layered and so complex and so theologically rich, and there's so much story behind it, and so much history, and so much aspiration of the people, and, and Jesus is, fam- and there's all these things going on. The risk is, That if we just read the story, if we watch the movement of the ball, we watch the whole thing over the next 25 minutes, we might walk out of here going, oh, that was a fine story. But it doesn't actually do anything to change our ability to follow Jesus well. So what I want to do today is there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of little rabbit trails we could take. But what I want to do today is I want to ask us just to watch one person, in the midst of all that's going on with this transfiguration, this really beautiful, powerful, um, almost mystical moment that's going on, is just to watch one person. And that one person is Peter. Now, if we're going to watch Peter, we have to, we have to know the setup for Matthew 17. And uh, if you've been here for a while, you've been watching online, uh, you maybe remember about a month ago, we started in Matthew. No, we didn't start. We started in Matthew 1. But we were in Matthew 16, And Matthew 16 contains this this proclamation, this statement of uh, of Peter that is monumental, history-changing, as best we know, had never been uttered by Jesus in all of human history. Right? You remember the story? Jesus says to his disciples, he says, hey, who do they say that I am? And they say, "Yo, some say you're Elijah and some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're a prophet. And Jesus looks at his 12 and he says, but who do you say that I am? And you you could just be there with Peter that moment, right? Have you had this? Some of you are extroverts enough like me that there are some times where uh, your mouth just starts moving and then your brain realizes that your mouth is talking. Have you been there? I I, I could not figure out why I always got in trouble in school because my brain, mouth would just start talking and then my brain would be like ah, blah, 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 right this is peter's life right and peter he's sitting there and all of a sudden jesus says but who do you sam and all of a sudden he just vomits out words he vomits out words i'm convinced he doesn't even understand right he, he says you are the christ the son of the living god and we talked about about a month ago that Christ is the same word as Messiah in Hebrew and that Messiah means the anointed one or the anointed king. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, that's amazing. There is no way you thought of that yourself. I know you, Peter. We've been around each other. There's no way you thought of it yourself. God must have revealed, God spoke through you. God, God revealed that to you. That's amazing, Right? But I'm convinced this is what Peter heard. You ready, Peter? You're amazing. How could you ever come up with something so grand and brilliant, as a Peter? You're and you could just imagine. I mean, we see it just in a couple verses later. Uh, the result of what happens from this moment, right? You can just imagine Peter just strutting around like a turkey in front of the other eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Yeah! You know me, I'm Peter, right? Just strutting around in front of all of them. I'm the rock, yeah! How do you like what this rock's been cooking? Yeah! Right, right? Just strutting around in front of all the other disciples. You know, he turns to John and says, hey, 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 I know you're going to write a story about Jesus later. You're going to write one of the gospels. Make sure you get these words down. Remember? Remember? looks at Matthew. Hey, Matthew, did you get that written down? Did you take good notes? You remember what I said? And you remember Jesus? Remember when he said, he said, Peter, you're amazing. You remember that? He's walking around, strutting his stuff and looking at the other disciples. Man, it must be rough to be on the JV team. Me and Jesus, varsity, right? And then Jesus begins to explain to him what the words he just said meant. And he says, yeah, 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 I'm the king of all creation, but but this is what it's going to look like. It's going to look like that this king is going to conquer his enemies through grace and love in the cross. Not through sword, not through violence, not through domination, but through grace and love and peace and self-sacrifice and the cross and the resurrection. Peter, I mean, you know big chest and walks over to Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Um, let's chat. Hey, um, you, you remember when you were like, uh, Hey Peter, you're amazing. Yeah. You're like, you're amazing. I'm so glad that you're on my team. Like everybody else is kind of a joke, but you, Peter, you remember that Jesus? Remember when you said that? Yeah. Um, we didn't have a chat about this whole dying thing. You know, like, like, you're the king. The kings don't die, right? right? May the king live forever, right? Uh, you're not going to die. You, you, you're going to conquer, and, and, and that's what I've hitched my wagon to. I've hitched my wagon to a king who's going to ride into town on a white horse and conquer and destroy his enemies, and I'm going to be number two. And you're going to get elevated, and everyone's going to sing the praises of the king of all of creation, and then I'm going to be right by your side. you remember that, Jesus? And Jesus turns to him. And he says, get behind me, Satan. In that moment, those words that Peter utters becomes the enemy against God. Against Jesus. Be with Peter for a moment. Have you been there? Have you you been in that moment like... Like you had all this confidence this was going to work out. You had all this confidence that this relationship was right, that this thing was going to fit, that this thing was going well, that that you were figuring it out with your job, with your career, with your finances, whatever it was. You had all this confidence, right? This is what's going to happen. It's going to work out. I know this is the way it's going to go. And, And then someone, what are you doing here? Why are you even here? He, he, I didn't want you to be here. Have you felt that? Peter, moments after one of the greatest highs of his life, feels what I can only imagine to describe as rejection from Jesus despair he who had trotted around like a turkey in front of the other 11 now has to turn back and I can imagine that you know the group walked he 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 followed but if Peter's anything like me he probably followed a little bit from a distance spent more time looking at his toes kicking the dust than he did looking at the other disciples didn't want to catch their glance was thinking through his mind like what, what am I going to say to my family What am I going to say to my dad? What am I going to say to all those people who I stood up and said, this is the Messiah. I'm following him wherever he goes. We're going to take over. We're going to do this. And now he's just going to die. Now everything's going to come to ruin. I'm going to have wasted my life. I just hitched my wagon to a failed rebellion. Can you feel that? Can you feel the shame When he walked back and he had to make eye contact with the same disciples that he'd just been walking with such confidence and and the rejection and the embarrassment. And then a really crazy thing happens. Look, if if you've got a Bible, you can be in Matthew 17 verse 1. If not, it'll be right here on the screen. Really crazy thing happens. It says this, Matthew 17 verse 1. Oh, maybe I didn't turn on the TV. Six days later. Six days later. There's a lot of times where when we're reading Scripture, we, we move through things too quickly. We don't realize the importance. I mean, the, the, there's all of Jesus' life is contained in these 28 little chapters, and really three years of Jesus' ministry is contained in even less of that. And so every single word that Matthew includes means something. It matters. It's there for a reason. Matthew chose to point this out right here. Six Days later, six days of no distractions. You see, a lot of times when we find ourselves in despair or rejected or aching or feeling betrayed, you know what we like to do? We like to distract ourselves. A lot of times we distract ourselves with being busy, right? I mean, to be honest, it was one of, I mean, it'll be one of the many lessons we learned from this last year in COVID and stuff, but it was one of the things that we all had to come to grips with when everything shut down about a year ago because of covid We had all of these losses we accumulated. We had vacations we planned on going. We had birthday parties we planned on having. We had um, job things that we expected to happen. We had relationship things that we expected to happen. And all those came to a complete and crashing end. And normally what happens when we have to deal with loss is we just busy ourselves with other things so we don't have to deal with it. So we don't have to think about it. So we don't have to feel it. So we don't have to feel the weight and the disappointment. But last year with COVID... We not only lost a ton of stuff, but we had no way of distracting ourselves. And we just had to sit in despair and the disappointment and the anger and the hurt and the betrayal of all these things coming to a crashing end. Peter has to sit for six days. As I've looked through, this is the longest period that I know of during Jesus's ministry that it's noted that Jesus goes without teaching or healing. And I think it's on purpose because you see, if Jesus had looked at Peter and he said, he said, um, if he'd looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, and Peter had to turn, and with a little bit of shame and a little embarrassment, he walked back to the other guys. And, and Matthew's like, "Ha oh, i I took notes on that real good, right? And and he's kind of you know disappointed and 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 sad, and he gets back to the group. And then Jesus turns around and he heals someone. What happens to everybody's gaze? They go away from Peter and they go look at the healing. What if Jesus had stood up on the mountain and he, and at that moment he talked to preach the sermon on the Mount? Matthew would have gone, Oh, I mean, Peter, but here's, this is amazing. Jesus, all these things you're teaching, right? What if in that moment, Jesus had turned and said, Hey, look at all the hungry people. I need to feed the 5,000 people. What he got? It would have been a distraction from the despair, but, but here, here's what I want you to see. It was by no accident that Jesus waited six days. God does this all the time. I mean, you see it all throughout scripture where people come to their wits end and we think, God, this is the moment. You need to fix it right now. You can do it. I believe you can fix this right now. And God says, yeah, how about we wait? You remember the story of Lazarus? The, the, the people come to Jesus and they say, hey, hey, Lazarus, Lazarus is dying. If you go now, you can save him. If you go now, you can save him. And we know from the account that if he had, if he'd left that moment, he could have healed him easily. The time between it would have taken him to walk there and when Lazarus died, there was ample amount of time for him to get there and to heal him. But you know what scripture says? It says they came and told him and Jesus waited there. He waited and Lazarus died and he went to the tomb of his friend, Lazarus. You see, sometimes, sometimes the greatest gift of God is to let us sit in our own despair. Because you see, in Peter, there was something in Peter that Jesus had to starve out of him. There was something in Peter's heart, in his mind, in his dreams, and his desires, and the reason he was following Jesus, that, that God had to let be starved, had to let die on the vine so that Peter could actually follow Jesus and not his dreams, and not his own comfort. You see, if in that moment Jesus has said, you, you, you are Satan, get behind me, and then immediately distracted him, The the work that Jesus was trying to do in his heart would have never been completed. And sometimes, sometimes, when we come to our wit's end, when we come to our moment of brokenness and anger and despair, God's greatest gift, his good kindness, is to wait. And he waits six agonizing days of silence. Silence. Isn't that the most painful? Silence. Those moments when you're crying and you're aching and you're screaming and you're angry and you're frustrated and there's just silence. But it doesn't end there. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and his brother John, and he led them up on a mountain by themselves. Verse two says this, and he was transfigured before them. This word here is where we get the word metamorphosis, Uh, what a butterfly, what a a caterpillar does to become a butterfly. Meta means large or whole or complete or grand and morph means to change. And, And so what's contained in this word is this idea that something about who Jesus was completely changed every speck of some part of who Jesus was, was completely transformed. And now Matthew wasn't there, but Matthew and the other uh, gospel writers, they do their best to try and describe, but we've got to be honest. If we believe scripture and we believe what it's trying to describe, what happened in this moment was words couldn't contain, right? So so it's important to notice that Matthew states it. He says he was transfigured. He just gives us two phrases to try and describe it because he just, here's what you need to know. What happened on the mount. With Jesus, with Peter, James, and John, with Moses and Elijah, with God himself, just words couldn't contain what happened, right? And so he says this. He says, and his face shone like the sun, and His garments became white, as white as light. See, this is what Jesus does. There's something in Peter that needs to die. He confronts, he rebukes, he corrects he disciplines Peter. He lets Peter sit in a cloud of despair for six days. And then he says to Peter, hey, Peter, I got to show you something. Come here. Come here, Peter. Peter, come here, come here, come here. And he leads Peter up on the mountain and he reveals to himself his full goodness and glory. This moment actually is what Peter's ministry all pivots on. Yes, the cross and the resurrection, and and, and that's where the gospel pivots. But for Peter, something changes in this moment. Something changes for each of the disciples there. They see something that no other human had seen that changes everything about what they understand about Jesus. Uh, John records this in the beginning of his gospel. He's talking in John 1, and he says this, and the word being Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. We saw his glory. We saw the word glory um, in Greek, this idea of weight, kind of a, a wet, weighty blanket. We experienced the weight of his presence, the grandness of his goodness. Glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter, he, he writes in his second epistle, in his second letter, uh, he writes this describing the moment. He says this in Second Peter. For we do not follow cleverly devised tales when we, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. Now, you see what he's saying is, he's just saying, hey, hey, we're not telling you other people's stories. We're not telling you gossip. We're not telling things we heard from other people. We're telling you what we saw with our eyes, right? And he says, we were witnesses of his majesty. That's the word that Peter uses to describe this moment, majesty, kingship, anointed, majestic. John uses this word of weight and beauty and power, and and Peter uses this word of kingship. And he goes on in verse 17, he says this, for when we received, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, okay, which is important thing, look at that. This is talking about the uh, the, the, the metamorphosis. It's not talking about the cross, which he does receive honor and glory, but there's this moment where the fullness of God's honor and glory is bestowed upon him. He says, Such a declaration as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If you look at Matthew 17, that's exactly what God says to him. And then it goes on in verse 18 and says this, And we ourselves heard this, right? Peter, first of all, just in case you are curious, Peter wants his audience to know. These aren't things we heard about. We saw with our eyes and we heard with our ears this declaration made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. This is the thing that changed everything for Peter because you see, before this, before the transfiguration, Peter was waiting for a king that'd come in riding on a horse and and would destroy his enemies and that yes, Jesus would be elevated, but Peter would be too. That yes, Jesus would be the king of all creation, but Peter would be number two. And Jesus, in his great kindness and graciousness, had to let it die on the vine. Had to let his dreams and his desires and his, 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 his agenda to die so that Peter might see and follow the true king of Jesus. At just the right moment, He invites Peter out of his despair to come and be with him. But here's something else that I really need you to see. Um, uh, Luke Luke writes in Luke 9. uh, Let me just read it to you. Luke 9. uh, Luke is likely, most historians believe that Luke is largely... um, uh, Is largely... Peter's recounting. Luke and Peter throughout the book of Acts spend a lot of time together and that um, Peter really relayed his stories. And that's why there's this little detail that's not in Matthew. It's not in the other gospels. There's this little detail that Luke includes that we don't see in any of the other gospels about this moment in the transfiguration. It says this, And behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory, were speaking listen Listen to this. We're speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. here's, Here's what I need you to hear as clearly as I can say it. Following Jesus does not always mean that the circumstances that bring you despair will disappear. It does not mean that following Jesus, that the things that bring you despair and sadness and brokenness and heartache, it doesn't mean those things are just going to disappear. You see right here, they go up this moment, they see Jesus in his full glory. And you know what Jesus and Moses and Elijah are talking about? About the cross. The cross and his death and his resurrection, the thing that brought anguish to Peter as he hiked up that hill doesn't go away. Following Jesus does not always mean that the things that bring you despair, that bring you heartache, that bring you pain, will just disappear. It is not the presence of God that changes, that doesn't always change the circumstances. The presence of God changes Peter's focus. Zach talked a lot about this last week. About where our eyes are, what we're looking at. You see, the whole time leading up this, Peter's looking at himself. Peter's thinking about his own ascension and his might. And and then when things go south, Peter's thinking about himself just the same. He's not sad that his friend Jesus is gonna die on a cross. He's sad that he will be shamed, that he'll be embarrassed, that his family will look at him and scoff at him, that he followed this itinerant preacher all around uh, the land, and, and in the end, he just ends up dying, and the whole revolution dies with him. But Jesus invites Peter up onto the mountain to change his view, to change his focus, to change where his eyes were looking. God's invitation to you today is not one that will make your circumstances just disappear. Maybe, maybe he will. Maybe, maybe, maybe he'll do majestic and glorious and miraculous things. And we'll worship and celebrate God's goodness that he redeemed and restored and fixed and healed all these broken areas in your life. But in the presence of Jesus, he's inviting you to change your focus. To change where your eyes are. Because you see, as soon as Peter's eyes get fixed on Jesus, everything changes. Did you see what he says? Uh, uh, if, if you've read the story before, um, Peter's laying on the ground, right? Like the only rightful thing to do when Jesus' full glory shows up, right? And, uh, and he says, Jesus, this is so amazing. This, this is this is amazing. This is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. Here, here, let's not worry about the kingship stuff. Let's not worry about the Romans. Let's not worry about anything going on down in the valley. Let's just set up some tents here. Let's set up home here. Jesus, trust me, I'm a great tent maker. I can make you a beautiful master suite. You tell me what you want. You want a jacuzzi tub? We'll make that happen. We'll get it all put together. Moses and Elijah, they can be right next to your neighbors. And you know what, Jesus? I'll just, I'll be over here. I'll be over here in the corner. I'll just sleep on a rock. You don't even, You don't even have to know I'm here like let's just let's just stay here everything changes for peter the moment he sees jesus rightly everything changes the gift of following jesus is not that in this life there will be no tears it's not that in this world there will be no anguish or disappointment or despair or heartache It's that we get to see the king of all creation who one day will make all things right, who is good and right and kind and graceful and life and to see his glory in a way that changes everything else we see. But the story doesn't end there. Story doesn't end there. Peter, James and John are face down and, and then it says this. It says this right at the end of the story. Matthew 17, verse 7. It says, Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up. It, <laughs> um, this word here in Greek, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a correct translation, touched. It's a good translation. But um, it, it misses the, the emphasis. And literally, I mean emphasis. Like when we see this word, Jesus came to them and touched them. We imagine blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus watching, walking up, kind of hovering as he comes up. And he goes, Right? And he touched them, right? Very soft and gentle. Hey, Peter, Peter, wake up. Peter, come on, come on, buddy. Right? That's what we think of. This is what the word actually looks more like. He touched them. There's a force to this word, there's a violence to this word. He touched them, he grabbed them. I imagine him coming up just like, just like a good old man does and just grabbing him on the shoulder. And he looks them right in the eyes. They look up to him and he says, get up. We got places to go. We got things to do. Get up. Get up. Church, get up. Get up. It's time to get up. There's something left to be done. You know what? Jesus takes them up on the mountain and sees their glory. But you know, there's still a Jerusalem and a cross that they have to ascend down the hill, back down to Jerusalem. That there's a mission, there's a job to do. I am so, (laughs) I am so tired of seeing people over and over again. Oh me, oh pain, oh heartache, oh me. And I know, I know, I know. I don't want to minimize the heartache or the pain you've gone through in this last year. Or years or decades before that. And I believe that we have a God who sympathizes with us, a God who weeps with us, a God who understands our pain. I believe those things. But I also believe that we have a God who leads us up onto the mountain so that we can see his glory. And then he grabs us by the shoulder and says, get up. We got a job to do. Church, we got a job to do. It's time that we quit complaining and whining and bemoaning the heartaches that we've experienced We got a job to do. It's time that we take our eyes off of ourselves and our own pain and we look down the hill, down the mountain into a valley of brokenness and pain and heartache and see that there's a world who desperately, desperately needs followers of Jesus to stand up with confidence and grace and mercy and bring healing and hope to a broken and dying world. Get up. Get up. Be the church that we've been called to be. Be the people that we've been called to be, a people who proclaim that there is life and hope and redemption and restoration, and that what was in your life, that the brokenness and the addiction and the fear and the pain, it doesn't have to define you anymore. That there's a God who loves you, that, that knows you, that sees you. Get up! Get up. Jesus leads Peter onto the mountain not so that Peter can see his glory and simply bask in the uniqueness that Peter got to see God's glory. But he led Peter up on the mountain because he knew that Peter had a very hard task ahead of him. That Peter had a very hard life that would come in following in obedience to Jesus. And he knew that before he did that, he needed to make sure that Peter's heart and eyes were right. And I hope today, I hope that as we sing this next song, that as we're together, maybe throughout this week, that that God can do the same with you. That he can refine and restore and, and he can let some things in your heart just die on the vine. And he can let you have to feel a little bit of anguish and a little bit of pain about some things that really need to be let go of. But that he can draw you to a place where your eyes can fix on him and you can see his glory and his majesty and his goodness and his grace. New, so that you can get up, because there's a dying world that desperately needs a church to be the church of Jesus.